You may be seated this morning. Thank you so much. I know that uh, uh, today is Father's Day, and uh, <clears throat> I want to just take a moment to not only commend, but uh, reference the fathers. Uh, you know, fathers are fundamental in the divine plan of, of happiness. I know life is about more than just your happiness, but yet there is a divine connection. See, God says that he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He said, I've given you all things that are freely to enjoy. So, fathers, today you are part of the plan not just the happiness for yourself, but the happiness of those that God has attached to your life. Because Father is the headwaters, the source of things. The fathers are to preside over the families in love, and righteousness, and providing necessities of life and the protection for their families. So it's a great responsibility and a great privilege. Thank God for families. We know this morning that the perfect divine expression of fatherhood is, of course, our Heavenly Father. Love is one of those main and all-encompassing characteristics of Father that was demonstrated throughout his life but in its greatest expression in laying down his life through his son, Jesus Christ. Fatherhood requires sacrifice, but it is also through that sacrifice that incomparable satisfaction and joy takes place. As I watch fathers and in my life to see the how their countenance changes and how that you know life just seems to rise to the surface uh, around their children and around their fields that God has given them and perhaps the most essential of a father's work is this the most essential of a father's work is this, is to turn the hearts of the children to the Heavenly Father. That's the ultimate. That's the main provision, protection. All fall into that, but that your children will come to know the Heavenly Father. So I leave you with that this morning as I pray for you, that in that role, that it will be our priority and reach it. And how can you be inspired and encouraged and, you know, and, and just, you know, uh, how can you, but just so, so motivated that you can't help yourself for that role? It's t- to know him 
to know how wonderful he is and how he's a life partner through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's one of those relationships that you go ahead, they're so special, they're so awesome, you just got to meet him. I want to tell you about them, and so that's the greatest work. Turn your kids' hearts to the Heavenly Father. Father, we thank you this morning that we have a role as fathers. It's probably the most important role in the journey of life. And we thank you that we don't have to do this role on our own, but you said the Holy Spirit would come and he would help us. And so I pray the release of the Holy Spirit into, into the lives of all of us fathers, that it would increase in helping the children, the children's heart, turn to the Father's heart. If there's one area that we want to be successful in, and that is that they will know the Heavenly Father. With our commission, Father, with our relationship, we set our course to be effective in turning the hearts of the children to the Heavenly Father. Bless the fathers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. amen. Praise God. All right. I feel like I just keep praying. That's how I feel the Holy Spirit. But next two Sundays, I want to talk to us about and help us. And when I say help us, I mean us, me included in calibrating our faith. Recalibrating the sights of our faith. It says in 2 Corinthians 13 and 5, it says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourself to see where your faith is at. How that faith is doing. You see, the Bible says that our faith is verified not by the past, but by the present. It's not an event that just happened at a certain time and place, and though it did. That's not the test. That's not, you know, the extent of it all. It says that you want to go ahead and evaluate and examine your faith in how it's doing in the present. Faith in the midst of turbulent 
times. And some might say, well, pastor, what do you mean by turbulent times? Well, I mean where things are affront to the gospel. When laws are affront to the word of God. When we run independent of God. When this is the only book of life. Calibrating our faith in these contemporary times. You probably can't stop times from changing. But you can go ahead and make sure that your faith is holding true. How do you feel about God? How do you feel about Jesus? How do you feel about the Holy Spirit? How do you feel about the Christian walk? And how do you feel about life in general? What is the formula that is, you know, influencing you the most? Is it circumstances and events or is it God in the Word? Life is filled with so many variables, and there are, there are wonderful days, and then there are other days that, you know, well, and we could have bypassed that one. And the reference to sight and recalibrating, sometimes in the battlefield, in the, uh, uh, the normalcy of life, sights get off. Weights can get off. They need to be recalibrated. The warfare, and not everyone would understand that this morning, you know, warfare, because some are more into, you know, uh, fighting, you know, this good fight of faith than others. Some are called to fight this fight of faith, not just in their individual lives, but for the, in the lives of others. You're not just praying for yourself, you're interceding for other people. Jesus had those that interceded for for him. And so, as you pray for things and you have great results, you're Faith and perspective stays intact and reaches strength and highs. But then if you go ahead and are on a mission and desiring something so tremendously and you invest your whole life into it and your whole prayer time and it comes up different than what you prayed for, that sometimes can throw your sights off. Paul said that there were those that, who concerning their faith have shipwrecked. Somehow they got marooned. Somehow they got lodged. 
They're not moving forward. Life is not advancing for them. Faith is not growing. Doubts and questions and wanderings. They're still waiting for the answer. So that's what I'd like to help us with this morning. What happens when God doesn't heal? With no reference to our prayer this morning. But what happens when God doesn't deliver? What happens when God doesn't answer your prayer, you know, like you would want him to? It's not uncommon for us to get in our our heads and our thinking and how we think God should supply specific things that we need and want. Sometimes people get mad at God. Sometimes people just quit over a loved one dying or, you know, a prayer not being answered. But since his ways are not our ways, and there will always be times when God doesn't move or work just like we think he should, it can be a major test for our faith. Exhausted, waiting for God to move, waiting for God to answer. Now, I've been here for 38 years, and let me tell you, I've tasted exhaustion. I've tasted exhaustion. Sometimes God moves in the church and in our lives and we can't enjoy what he's doing because we're expecting him to do something else. Sometimes God worked and it didn't feel like a move of the spirit because it was different than previous times sometimes God spoke and we locked ourselves into the imagination of how the word would come to pass and then God did it differently but I'm convinced that God wants to refresh us he wants to recalibrate our faith recalibrate our faith in the living God and the assurance and the assurity that faith in God really brings and settles in our lives to restore our ability to hope and to take our hand and walk us into fulfillment of everything that he has spoken. We find a story story in the Bible. It's a story of, of Naaman. Second Kings, Second Kings chapter 5. A story in which a miracle was almost aborted because God didn't meet his expectations. A miracle that almost did not happen 
Because God did it different than what he was anticipating. Naaman, number one, his need. In the crisis, he's a leper. But he's not only a leper, he's a successful and accomplished military leader. A man that is used to having protocol. A man that is used to having respect. And in his household, there was a little servant girl. Nobody. She just knew God. And she felt compassion for Naaman. And so she said to his wife, if you will talk and and find a way that Naaman can get to it, be introduced to the God of Israel, he could find some healing. He wouldn't have to live with his leprosy. And so the king of Naaman sent a letter to the king of Israel and said, you know, would you, I've got this great leader and he needs healing. And the king of Israel is quite frustrated and He says, well, who am I, God? And so Elisha, the man of God, hears about his frustration because there was a great relationship back in those times, you know what I mean, where the leaders actually paid attention to the prophets. (laughs) They did. They had respect to those that were, you know, voices of God in in a land and in a country. But So Elisha said... Just send him to me. And so Naaman shows up at Elisha's house and Elisha, rather than going out and, you know, and greeting Naaman, who was a man of reputation, he sends his servant. with a message to go, go wash in Jordan seven times. And Naaman was as mad as a hornet. It says that he said this, I thought he would come, surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of his God, wave his hands over the spot and cure my leprosy. I had an imagination. I've played this in my mind and how this is going to take place. And so all of a sudden, you know, it is a moment of opportunity of a miracle. It was just expectations that got in the way. By and large, he was angry at God's method. And he began to lay out what he thought should be the process. Number one, I need a better river. Jordan is the kind of river that I want to get into. I want a river that's got clearer and better water. 
wouldn't I have washed in them? And he actually left. He went away in, in rage. You don't have to raise your hands, but have you ever been angry at God? Come on. You ever been a little, you know, contemptuous the way God did things? He gives you a muddy Jordan rather than a clear far-far? Yeah. You imagine God and how he's going to move, and then he does it differently. He tells you to go here, and you want to go there. You expect God to make a really a big scene with regard to your miracle, and all of a sudden he uses a flunky. Not anointed, flunky, and he gives you a word that you didn't like it. It's called crippled by your failed expectations. Finally, Naaman gives in. You know, after he, you know, made his own personal scene, who knows who he told, but finally wore down and someone had enough nerve to go ahead and reason with him. Now, if God had asked something great of you, would you have done that? He says, Yes. well, then why don't you just try if God asks you to do something small? It just might be worth your while. There was another man, Peter, that got derailed in his faith when the Lord didn't meet his expectations. See, Peter knew Jesus. He was a Jesus of miracles. He was a Jesus who walked on water. He was a Jesus who raised the dead. He was the Jesus who turned the water into wine. He's the Jesus that fed the 5,000. He was the Jesus who healed the lepers and opened the blinded eyes. But there... In the program of God, he didn't know this Jesus. To him was a Jesus of defeat. A Jesus of rejection. A Jesus of disappointment. Momentarily, Peter's faith wavered. He said, I don't know him. I don't know him. 
the power, the crippling effect of expectations. You know, and nothing wrong with those expectations. They can be noble. And they can fall within the parameters of, of reason. But you, you've got to let God be God. My ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. And, you know, as high as the heavens are above the earth, I mean, that's, you know what? We can't even get close. You can't even get close. You can use the biggest of your imagination, and you're not going to be able to really zero in on how and why God does it a particular way. And I'm, I cannot sit here and tell you why he does. Because I've asked the same questions that you've asked, you know what I mean? I've sat in the same pew, you know, and I've gotten distraught and frustrated. I've done it all. And he sits and waits for me to come around. John the Baptist had hit a low moment in his life of faith. The same man that pointed out that, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The same man that made the confession, I must decrease that he might increase. These are spiritual high moments for him. The one that paved the way for Jesus in his ministry. Got the ball rolling. Began to, you know, be the newspaper, you know, of proclamation to draw attention to Jesus and his ministry and what he had come for. The man that the scripture says that of those born of women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Well, go ahead and move on that this morning. But John finds himself in prison. His future looks bleak. Jesus is nowhere around. He did not visit him in prison. It would seem like he's, you know, inconsiderate and not very compassionate. And so what happens in the natural mind, it kicks in. Starts to formulate its own sense of worthiness. You wouldn't even be known if it wasn't for me. I set the stage for you. No, I don't know that's exactly the way his thoughts went, but I know how thoughts go. Yes. 
he asks an even question. Are you really the Messiah? Is this the way the Messiah would really do it? See, sometimes it doesn't seem to run true to even the past. This is the same guy that went out of his way. This is the same guy that, you know what I mean, stopped the processions. Now all of a sudden he's not doing it exactly the same way that I've seen him do it. So is he the Messiah? Now it didn't take a whole lot to get his faith back on track. Now, if you were in that situation and I didn't show up, I'd be in trouble <laughs> as a pastor. But Jesus didn't even show up. He just sent somebody. And Jesus says, you know what, John? You're not getting in pri- out of prison. The fact is, You know, you're going to die there. You're going to get killed. They're going to cut your head off. But you know what else is happening? Over in the neighborhood such and such, there's a blind man. And he's been blind X amount of years. And guess what? Now he sees. There's somebody over in another neighborhood that, you know what I mean, was laying on a bed. Been there for years, and did you know he's walking around now? (laughs) Whoa. Why me, Lord? Why me? I don't know. But I like the song the writer wrote with a frame that, why me, Lord, what have I ever done to deserve God's own son? I think that we need to set some perimeters, and i got to wrap this up. There were some Hebrew children who knew what God could do, but he was not going to, they were not going to, you know what I mean, limit him to their expectations. And so when they faced the crisis in their life, which was a crisis, you know what I mean, of... I don't know. I don't, I don't know, you know if the guillotine is worse or a fire is worse. I've never had either one of them, but I can relate to a fire better than I can a guillotine. And I understand, I think, a guillotine would be very quick, but fire might just take a little bit longer, so I, you know. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, in, 
And they said, well, King, guess what? Our God is able, but is he, if he doesn't, my faith is not going to be determined by the results or my expectations. My faith is going to be determined on what I know about God and the track record that he's got over all of life and not just one event in life. Somebody give the Lord a praise this morning. Hallelujah. The God that made the worlds and the universes, the stars, the moon, the sun. Job gives us another picture of how to handle our adverse situations. And you know Job, Job's story, this, you know, it's a, I don't want to be a Job. <laughs> I know the end is better than the beginning, but I don't like the journey. I can't handle the journey. <laughs> now maybe, you know, I, my mind can change as God works on me and gets my faith a little bit stronger, but I'm not just jumping into it, let me tell you. <laughs> but he says, you know what I'm going to do? And all these things... And all the things that, wanna, that just want to creep out and they want to happen, he says, I'm going to put a watch on my mouth. He says, when things don't happen the way I expect them, I'm going to put a watch on my mouth. His family was destroyed. His children were dead. His herds were stolen. His health was virtually destroyed. His wife turned against him and was a nagging wife. His friends did nothing but criticize him and point his fingers at him. And yet he says, though he slay me, yet I'll trust him. Now I'm not going to stand here and tell you that I'm even close to that. And because he knows where my faith is at, he is not going to let it be tried above that which I'm able to bear. So what's happening and what's taking place is not beyond the level of your capability as far as your faith is concerned. You don't have to enjoy it. You don't have to like it. You can even pray against it. You can bargain with God. You can do it all. And I don't know how he'll respond to it. But don't miss your miracle. Because expectations... the happening of it doesn't measure up I'll ask my physicians to come this is not a finished message this morning you see Naaman expected to be healed but he pre-programmed how that the healing would come he expected to be healed. He did. He expected to be healed. So he had the expectancy. He had the faith. And they worked together. But he had to overcome the false expectation about how God would do it. 
And I know there's general runs of mills. There is the order and the laws of life. But it's when God reserves the right of himself to be God. That sometimes we get thrown a curve. He had to. He would have missed his miracle if he would not have adjusted. If he would not have adjusted, he would have missed his miracle. Naaman had played an imaginary video of how God would heal him. Sometimes we have to discard regarding some expectations. Refuse to be, refuse to bind God to your picture. It may be realistic. But it might not be the way he's going to do it. This thing moves to more than just your personal need. It can move to the church. Just don't bind God to your mental picture. Am I making any sense? Is there some insight? Sometimes the move of God can occur with dazzling works of power. The next time it'll happen with small acts of obedience that's just saturated with peace. There's one way you can tell if the image helps you. If it helps you find God, then the pictures are probably right. If the pictures are frustrating and leave you feeling that you never quite seem to meet God, my advice to you today is put them on the back burner and choose a lower, less dazzling route. He might not come himself. He might send somebody else. You get that? He might come in the person of somebody else. He might send a servant. He might just send a lowly messenger. But in that is the the key to the miracle that God's got planned for your life. Not just so you get what your request has been for, but that so your faith can make a step higher. So you can say, the Lord, he is God. Crippled by failed expectations the beatitudes 
are the recipe and the road to blessing. Read them. They address the area of false expectations. A list that characterizes the people that God blesses. The trouble with the Beatitudes is they don't look so fulfilling. Who wants to be poor in spirit? Who wants to mourn? Meekness doesn't look so hot, does it? Each trait seems to be more negative than positive. But the good news is, is that every negative thing about the, about the Beatitudes, it is a setup for God to do something. Each of them in, involves a reversal. A realistic expectations that we can look for. For God to move. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You're in a good position when you need God. That's right. Because that's what it is. Poor in spirit is someone that's humble, realizes dependent, and feels helpless. All of a sudden, you're the one that's going to get the blessing. Hallelujah. You're going to get the blessing. I got to stop. Stand with me this morning. We may not always recognize that we've been crippled. Might not always recognize it. But Jesus, he's been known to make the cripple walk again. He's been known to take to Peter, who says, I don't know him, and stand up for him. That's right. Because divine reversals is what he does what he does sometimes he does it in spite of your faith he wants to encourage it other times he does it because of your faith he's not so starchy <laughs> that you got to get it right all the time no what an amazing God. Recalibrate your faith. The Bible says that we're supposed to lift up the hands that hang down. There's people that are praying. Their hands are weary and they're weak and they're, they're down by their side. And as a result of that, you know, the battle is not going in their favor. Not always, but that's the case.
And Paul writes and says, I want you to lift up the hands that are hanging down. I want you to strengthen the feeble knees that are quaking. They, you know what I mean? He, here they are. It's like the person that, that it, it, it wants to stand, but the legs don't have the strength to stand. She says, somebody come alongside of them and take a hold of their hands and their shoulders and help them until they can get enough therapy and exercise so that they can begin to walk again. Hallelujah. Amen. Take the hand. Take the hand. Take the hand. Here's what Jesus said. He said to his disciples, even as the Father sent me into the world, so I send you. When Jesus would pull himself up alongside of those that had great needs in his life, begin to administer the life of the kingdom, he's saying, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to pull yourself up alongside of those and once you start to administer the life of the kingdom because I'm sending you just like the Father sent me oh hallelujah praise God God is good Father we love you we bless you sometimes we feel weak and God but I know you're going to strengthen us and Let's pull up. Help us to pull up alongside of people. Heal our crippledness this morning, Father. Put us in a brand new, fresh stride. Confidence and faith. By the power of your great hand and the authority of your great word in Jesus' name.